Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email this week. He says, thank you for taking my call. And thank you for taking this email because I've got to tell you, there are so many things that I want to change about myself and I get so overwhelmed that I change nothing. I know you'll probably tell me procrastination is part of being an addict, but I really want to get started. What would you recommend first? Well, that's a good question. I have to say that that's a very good question because the truth of the matter is each person is different and there's not a one-size-fits-all. And knowing that there isn't a one-size-fits-all I would have to do a thorough assessment. Now, let's face it, my intro is very misleading. You know, Russell calls in, he says he hasn't been home in six months, he says he's not sure if he has a sex addiction, and I say, yes, you do. Well, there are specific criteria that a sex addict has to meet to be deemed a sex addict. And I would say one out of every 25 people that I work with, um, they come in, they describe their behaviors, and I say, hey, you're not a sex addict. Just in the same way as somebody who comes in and says, I molested my cousin, my brother, my sister, and then I find out it's sex play. It's not molestation. That's why you really need to get with a specialist who understands the criteria and the definition so they can help you know how much of a problem is this. I mean, sex addiction is an uncontrollable compulsion. Until you know the tools, it is um, so compulsive that you don't know what to do. 
You don't know what to do to manage it. You aren't at the right place to manage it. And fortunately, most sex addicts have said thousands of times, I'm going to stop this behavior because they really don't want to participate in the behavior. But their brain does, and their brain takes control. And it isn't until a discovery, more often than not, or an occasional confession that the addict is faced with, what do I need to do to get healthy? And truly, getting yourself to a certified sex addiction therapist is the first thing to do. So I want to tell you, if you think that you have a sex addiction, go to my website, www.sexhelpwithcarolthecoach.com, and take the test. Um, we'll link you right to sexhelp.com. Now, remember, my website is carolthecoach at sexhelp.com. Sexhelp.com is ITAP, and ITAP is the International Institute for Trauma and Addiction Professionals. We are the people that can identify, diagnose, and treat sex addiction. And, you know, we treat partner betrayal. We treat families that are in crisis. It's a wonderful organization spearheaded and started by Dr. Patrick Carnes, uh, Stephanie Carnes, who we had on about six weeks ago, is and has been instrumental in looking at partners and families to be able to treat them. You all know that I'm a part of APSATS, and APSATS is an organization that um, – where we treat partners of sex addicts from a trauma model, from a partner-sensitive model, oftentimes involves trauma. Not always, but oftentimes. So we're trauma specialists. I'm really proud of that organization, too. too. So clearly, I feel like the two institutions that have trained me have given me the ability to be able to help you. And not, you know, let alone, if you will, the fact that you train me because you're always reaching out and asking me questions. I, I know that oh, probably about a month ago and then again over the weekend, I had somebody who said, Carol, you've got to do a show on how erotic literature might become um, a, a type of sex addiction. Way to write out 20 questions that he had about erotic literature, and then I would take it from there. I'd consult with my listserv. I'd do some research and hopefully give him some information about his niche, his fetish, if you will. That's what I want to do. I want to help you. And there is no doubt that I want to help couples. As a matter of fact, many of you know I was doing that workshop um, this weekend, Help Her Heal, Um, my first workshop where I got to do that and just had a wonderful opportunity to meet with some great folks. Um, I had 
actually mandated that the addict get my online course, Help Her Heal. You can get that by going to my website, www.sexhelpwithcarolcoach. And then anybody who had purchased that online course from the minute it was conceived up until the workshop could register for the workshop. And so I literally had people that really wanted to understand this information. They'd read the book. Now they take the online course. And they wanted so badly to be able to implement more of the skills. Well, here's what I did. I told the participants that they could invite their partners, their spouses. And their spouses could see what they were learning and also talk about what they needed from their partners, from their spouses. And I I had a whole lot of material presented because I thought to myself, hey, maybe this population is not going to want to share. They don't know anybody. This is the first time they've met them. Um, But I also knew that whenever I attend a workshop, I ask questions, I share my struggles, I share what I want to learn. And so I had way too much information. I even had a video that I wanted to play. And we were about 10 slides shy of completing the course, Um, which I was very excited about. Um, they talked nonstop, and I loved that. And we had all sorts of people. We had um, coaches and clinicians who were married to sex addicts. That's why they got into the field. We had couples that had been married 20 years, 25 years. We had couples that... Um, actually, what was interesting was the demographics really had many couples with at least three, four, five years recovery. And so they weren't, understandably, the newbies that just had uh, participated in a disclosure or a discovery. They were really people that were struggling to build their relationship and they wanted more information as to how they could do that. So needless to say, I was so excited that they were so talkative and so engaging, you know, talking in the chat, commending other people for, for bringing that up, for talking so much. I encouraged them to form um, a recovering couples group so that they could help each other. And it just really pointed out to me that I've got to do more of these workshops for your sake, to help you learn how to help her to heal or him to heal, whether I'm dealing with my gay population. Um, and, And also, it's important that I help the participants learn how to relate and connect better so that they can develop the trust and the intimacy that they deserve. 
because the struggle in this is so tough for partners. And I got to say, as tough as it is for partners, what I shared with my group was that it's equally, if not worse, for the addict. Why? Because they know they traumatize their partners and they are watching their partners struggle and they are the cause. And I don't know about you, but when I have hurt somebody with my words, with my actions, accidentally, um, or, you know, I've had situations where somebody misunderstood what I meant and they thought I was saying something way different than what I said. It's agonizing. Now, I'm not here to say that partners are hurting deeply and may not be the um, biggest collateral damage from all this. You, You all know I love my partners. I want them to get healthy regardless of what the addict does or doesn't do. That's the take-home premise to my online course for partners on post-traumatic growth. I want them to get healthy no matter what. But what I know about addicts is that they don't have the skills, oftentimes, to make the changes. And if they do have some skills, they're up against a huge wall because that partner is not going to get duped again that partner is not going to get hurt again. That partner really is going to push away the addict to see if the addict will come back. But my partners that I talk to, the majority of them want the relationship to work. They want the addict to get the skills. And that's why I feel like they are a great population for this material because in Help Her Heal, it talks about relationship skills and it talks about reflective listening and it talks about ABR, the empathy formula, and it talks about what you have to do to develop trust, like the disclosure, the emotional impact letter, the restitution letter, things that if you're just tuning in for the first time, you may say, what the heck is that? And the truth of the matter is, this is a lot of work. But just like the 12 steps, when you work it, it does work, and it makes you a wonderful um, candidate for self-improvement, personal development, and relationship repair. That is my promise. So, it's super important for me, for you, to know what you need to do. And tonight we're going to be talking about rebuilding the relationship after sexual addiction. And we're going to have a guest on. Her name is Heidi Kinsella. And she is going to be working diligently on helping you to understand how sex addiction affects the coupleship and what you can do to make that better. And what we know is that when you get the skills, wow, 
you get healthier. You do a better job of coming to grips with what you need to deal with. And that's why this is an exciting field. It truly, truly is. Now, if you had one question for me and one question only, what would it be? Would it be about your sex addiction? Would it be um, about sexual betrayal? Would it be about partner betrayal? What would it be? Because it's important to be curious. It's important for you to want to know what it is that you need to get healthy. And, wow, I cannot stress enough. What is happening that would make you act in a way that did not fortify your values. You know, I get that you didn't want this. You never thought it would happen. And let's face it, it took a hold of you. It hijacked you. And sometimes partners don't want to hear that because it's like we're making excuses But I promise you that it is very important for you to know that there are lots of different skills that you can use to make things better. All right. I am Carol Jurgensen-Sheep, a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and I just want you to know that you can do this. You can make things better, and it just takes a little bit of time. Well, that's not really true. It takes a little bit of time to feel like you're beginning to gain the skills, but it takes three to five years, actually. Um, and, And what I absolutely know is that you really do want to get healthy. Because you know it's the only thing you can do to make it your own, to feel good about yourself. And feel overwhelming, absolutely overwhelming. And so, What I'm hoping that you will understand is how important it is to pick up a book on sex addiction, to break your own denial and say, I need need the expert's help. You know, I know that I need more than what I can get just on my own. And when you do things get better. So, appreciate about your strengths. What do we need to look at? You know, well, I guess what I mean by that is we want to assess what you're doing so that you get healthier. Now, the truth of the matter is that I 
I believe in the helper heal model. And what that is, I say, you know, you have all the power, all the power, when you were trying to figure out what you needed to do. And now that you got the power, once you've been discovered, you've got to give that power to the partner. Now, if you are a single male or female that has a sex or a sex and love addiction and you don't have a partner, you've got to figure out a way to do this for yourself. Um, And here's what I know, that when you do, it is super important for you to start practicing those skills immediately. So when we come back, we are going to be talking with Heidi. And stay tuned for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And I am just sitting here trying to get us a commercial, and it just isn't coming on. So I tell you what, I'm just going to help you to understand that there are lots of things that you can you can actually do to make to make it inevitable that you're showing your partner what it is you want to do for him or her. What's the first thing? Well, you always want to make sure that they know, that you know that you're at fault, right? Always. And then what I absolutely believe to be true is that It is super important to be able to understand this illness, this disease. And so tonight we are, we're talking with Heidi, Heidi Kinsella, who's going to be talking about sexual betrayal. And so, Heidi, I can't wait to hear some of your tips on how you help sex addicts and actually couples to survive infidelity, sex addiction, and betrayal trauma. Welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Yeah, so you have been working with sex addicts for a long time, and you believe that there are certain things that a person can do uh, to help his or her, her partner heal, and, and you wanted to talk about some of the telltale signs of recovery that a partner can look at so that he or she can feel comfortable enough to begin that trusting process. So I got some questions for you, and I know that you'll be able to answer them. The first one okay, is, sounds great. what do you think a person in early recovery needs to be doing to facilitate his or her own sexual sobriety? 
Well, when a person person is trying to get sober from sex addiction, the that person needs to be either seeing a therapist, um, a person who is trained in um, sex addiction. Um, it can be mm-hmm. um, a CSAT or there's other credentials as well. But they need to be seeing a, a therapist regularly. Um, group therapy or some sort of group activity is super important because sex addiction is an intimacy disorder, and the way we treat that is to have guys or women be part of a um, of a group where they're getting feedback from other people in recovery and being held accountable. Um, so that's super important. Um, they need to be, you know, one of the things I, I tell partners is you need to see him doing or her doing um, their homework. They see them uh, making outreach calls, doing doing the homework that the therapist is giving them, and and also 12-step is a really um, great um, additive to early recovery, and partners will see their, their um, significant other going to meetings, talking to people, um, getting a service position in a home group, meeting with other people, um, being of service. Okay, so those are some recovery tools that an addict can go to right away to begin to start the process of sexual sobriety. Now, how does the sex addict need to show up in the relationship to be able to facilitate trust, intimacy, and, of course, that all-important healing? So it's really important for, for addicts to hold what I call hold space for the partner's pain um, you know, betrayal trauma is is um, very similar to PTSD. And when they get when they get triggered, they're not doing that to themselves. They're they're having a trauma response based on a cue that reminds them of the betrayal they experienced. And so, the addict and the couple, it's really important for them to to really hold space, to not get defensive, to not ex- start explaining, you know, why, um, and and certainly not say how great they're doing. Um, rather than that, what they want to do is really acknowledge the, the pain they've caused their partner um, to, um, you know, acknowledge that even if it's something they, nothing happened today, it's some, the pain they caused them was even two years ago or, or a month ago, to really acknowledge that they caused this, that, they're, that it makes sense that they're being triggered and, and, to, and to ask them about it and have the partner talk about it. And, and then once the partner goes through their, their cycle of trauma, because it's like a wave, it, it will it will peak and then it will kind of come back down again, and and the partner really feels heard and supported. Then he can tell her, you know, I want to let you know that I'm in recovery. I'm doing everything one day at a time to stay in recovery so I don't hurt you again or try not to hurt you again. But you don't want to start with that. If you start with that, that sounds defensive. It sounds, um, it's really minimizing of her pain. Um, and and on, on that talk, but the other thing is, you, is that you can tell a guy's in recovery when he's not getting defensive, um, he's he's just owning his behavior. Um, he holds space in a calm way. Yeah, and, you know, you're kind of speaking my song because I wrote this book called Help Her Heal, and I talk about the exact same issues. So I want to ask you, how did you get involved in this field to begin with? Well, I got involved in this field to begin with because I, um, I'm in recovery myself. I've been sober and alcoholic anonymous for over 30, 31 years, an active member of the program. But in my journey, um, I, I married a guy who um, was in recovery um, in AA, but he, um, it turned out he was a sex addict, and I, I didn't know what that was. And that experience brought me to my knees in a way my own drinking hadn't. I was really reactive. I was one of those partners who was 
I couldn't sleep and he wasn't going to sleep and I was up raging at him all night. And I went and saw my own CSAT, and I did that journey for 14 years. And, and I ended up leaving him because he didn't stay sober, um, and that's part of my journey. Um, but what I tell people is is that my healing that I needed to do, whether I was with him or left, or whether I left him or whether I stayed, is it took me 14 years to really do that, 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 that healing. And I really am a big advocate of partners getting their own therapy, regardless if they stay or not, because the damage has already been done in, with the betrayal trauma. Okay, and so then you're saying that you were on both sides of the fence. You yes. had been a sex yes. addict, and then you fell in love with a sex addict. I wasn't a sex addict, although I have some love addiction, uh, addiction stuff in my past, but I was, I'm actually in recovery for alcoholism. Um, so I am an addict. Um, I'm an alcoholic. Um, so I know what it's like to to uh, have a have an addiction, um, and I've been a partner of a sex addict. Yeah. So you know what that compulsion is all about, and that probably is one of the reasons that you are a chemical dependency professional in Washington uh, State, because that's correct. So many people that you know have any kind of addiction, when they get healthy, they want to give back. And they want to help others. And so you have committed to doing this. And if I can be so bold, it also sounds like um, your experience with him helped you want to help sex addicts and partners learn how to um, resolve this together, manage this addiction in a healthy way. Absolutely. I really believe in recovery, um, not only for each individual in the coupleship, but I really believe in recovery for the couple itself. This, I believe this is a, a brain disease, a disorder. It's not a matter of um, bad morals or, or um, willpower. And with the right treatment, I believe that couples can make this. And, you know, this is, this is my life mission. I, um, I really believe that, um, that I am, I'm grateful that I get to use the pain of my past as a way to be of benefit to others. And kind of like Victor Frankl, it gives it meaning. And because it has mm-hmm. meaning, then it makes it worth it. Well, that makes sense. And so one of the questions that so many people ask is, what type of therapy does a sex addict need? And you talk about individual and group and then, of course, 12-step meetings, which you just referenced. Now, I know the individual therapy really needs to be with a specialist. Uh, your and my preference is, of course, a certified sexual addictions therapist. Tell me a little bit about what he or she should look for in a group. Well, so I, I, I personally run um, groups for both sex addicts and for betrayed partners, and and there's a lot of CSATs who, who do that as well. And, you know, I think what's important is to be in a group with a therapist who really understands sex addiction and betrayal trauma, so that way the partner's not getting re-traumatized by being blamed for, you know, her, her partner's acting out. And, and it's important, you know, for the, for the addict to be getting um, feedback from his peers, um, being called out on cognitive distortions. Um, I think it's important. Um, I think... The difference between 12-step and a therapist-like group is that there's a therapist in the room who's going to, like, correct any wonky feedback, um, and you're also getting feedback in the 12-step meeting if you wouldn't. And as far as groups for partners, I think it's really important for um, the group to be based on the trauma model 
um, so that women can really feel heard and supported around their their betrayal trauma and the triggers they experience, um, rather than you know the, the, the codependency model worked very well for the for substance use. It, it's um, not as effective with betrayal trauma because most of the time women or men don't even know what's happening and they're certainly not covering up for their spouse. Okay, and so tell me, what should a partner look for in a betrayal um, specialist, a trauma specialist? Well, you know, the partner, I mean, I, I really recommend that partners also get their own CSAT. I mean, a person who really is trained in this model um, and, you know, a person who is um, going to help them understand that it, uh, it isn't their fault, that, that there's nothing they did to cause it, um, and a person who's really going to help address the, the trauma. You know, there's many different ways to address trauma. There's EMDR, there's somatic experiencing, um, there's lifespan integration. There's a lot of different ways to address trauma, um, but it's important that the trauma is um, acknowledged and addressed. Oh, absolutely. And for our listening audience, because I have both sex addicts and uh, betrayed partners that listen to the show, would you describe what trauma is? Well, you know, what happens with trauma is that the um, when a person goes through um, an, an event um, that is so overwhelming to them, um, their their brain can can only handle so much. So oftentimes it will um, it will like compartmentalize or disassociate some of the memories. And what happens when a person is traumatized? You think about like you get in a really bad car accident, or um, you see someone die, or you know you're in combat. Is that you you re-experiencing the thoughts and the memories over and over again, um, where you're not able to sleep, you're not able to to, to concentrate or function. Um, you know, oftentimes um, there is a, a ruminating quality where for partners there's a um, in a in the effort to keep themselves safe, they're they're um, they're hypervigilant. So they're they're checking emails and they're checking bank accounts and they're trying to they're trying to like find evidence. And what they're trying to do is keep them safe, themselves safe. So you know the the, the trauma happens to the brain and um, and it and it basically their their midbrain gets hijacked and um, and they they're not they're not it's it's not a function that they can call, they can control by their executive functioning and their their frontal lobe. Yeah, exactly. And, and we always say that that's been established typically with the amygdala, the reptile part of the brain that really just wants to keep people safe. And of course, heading over to that anterior cingulate, that's where all the emotions get flooded and, and that sense of rejection affects the prefrontal cortex and the ability to make decisions. Now, that is typically what trauma does to the brain of a partner, and I want to go so far as to say that when an addict decides he's going to get in good recovery and he's going to rebuild his relationship, he experiences that same post-traumatic stress when he watches the partner in such distress. And so what do you advise couples to do to begin to help that healing process? Well, it really, it really starts with, and I actually use your book. I, 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 I use it in my, my, um, my men's groups. I use it with couples, um, and and it, it, 
and I also use Doug Weiss's um, videos, Help Her Heal. Um, it really mm-hmm. is, can be benefit, beneficial for the addict and the couple to really understand that when she's being triggered, um, she's not doing it on purpose. She's not doing it at him. It's not a punishment. It's literally happening to her. Like her, her brain is being hijacked. And and to really, you know, one of the things I do early on with couples is really teach him how to show up and just hold space. And you know, and, and as she starts to feel heard and validated, um, she, you know, she'll she'll start she'll start to to calm down. And uh, and I don't mean calm down as if she's being hysterical, but it helps her her brain start to heal and it creates safety. Mm-hmm. And so early early on in couples therapy, it's just it's not really couples therapy; it's more like crisis counseling, where I'm really helping the guy show up for her. Um, eventually, we get into um, you know, different stuff that's more traditional couples counseling. But the other thing we do is, um, you know, and this can happen in couples, but it, it more often happens with um, two individual therapists, his therapist and her therapist, where there's a reconciliation process that can really help help the couple move through this process of healing. Okay, and so obviously you use the book and some of the communicative skills and AVR, which is to develop empathy. I'm curious, do you think that most of the men that you work with that are sex addicts, do you think they possess empathy, but it it fractures when the addiction occurs? Or do you think they're at an empathy deficit from the get-go that only gets worse as the addiction gets worse? You know, I think it depends on the guy, honestly. I um, when I used to work at the General Path of the Meadows, and I used to have this conversation with the clinical director, Dr. Monica Meyer, and, and you know, because there are some guys who would present with more empathy than others, and, and some people who have sex addiction also have um, personality uh, either traits or features, and so they, they may not, you know, they may have some traits or features of narcissism where they're not, they're not, you know, able to reach the level of empathy, um, as others, my experience of being in recovery myself um, is that oftentimes, you know, you know, people in recovery, whether it's sex addiction or anything else, are very selfish and self-centered, and they don't show empathy. And as they get sober and they stay sober, empathy comes on board, and they're able to really show empathy, and other people can't. So I, I think it just really depends on the person. Yeah, that's a, a very good answer. And so you said that you did work at General Path. I did, yeah. I had the honor to work out there. Yeah, it was an incredible opportunity. Yes, it was. And I know that I've been out there a couple of different times during our um, ITAP conferences, which, of course, helped to keep us accredited to be certified sex addiction therapists. And I think it's one of the best um, treatment centers in the world. I, I just really think they know and understand sex addiction so well, and they have all of the diagnostic tests to help to tease out whether there are other things that are affecting compulsivity and sexual problematic behavior. Now, let me ask you, what do you think about the World Health Organization um, now having a diagnosis for our sex addiction? It may not be called sex addiction, but we now have a diagnosis that the world can begin to label and diagnose so that people can get treatment and even have their insurance pay for it. 
Oh, my gosh. I was delighted to hear that. Because one of the things that we, you know, we really have struggled with is um, all the naysayers uh, saying that it's not real. And we all know, those of us in the field know it's real. We, we witness the pain every single day. And so, you know, we did we already knew that and we were already working you know working in the you know with the belief that it's real but having it be validated um even more so than just the insurance coverage is just to have it validated um it has really gone a long way to help with people breaking through denial and and and, and help them settle into treatment because i what i would run into was you know they would be spinning people would be spinning their wheels trying to prove to me it wasn't an addiction um, and that it, this is this is helping that issue a lot. I'm an out-of-network provider, so insur- insurance is. Um, although I, you know, I do send a super bill, but insurance isn't as important in my practice as it could be for some people. Well, absolutely. So let me remind everybody who I'm talking to. I'm talking with Heidi Kinsella, and she is. Uh, did I say that right? It's actually Kinsella, but I'll answer to anything there. Kinsella. Okay. And she actually works for Fourth Dimension Counseling. She is a licensed mental health counselor and a chemical dependency professional. She's a CSAP, so she's a certified sexual addictions therapist. And people can get a hold of you by going to www.fourthdimensioncounseling.com. So you got to tell me what made you uh, call it Fourth Dimension Counseling. Fourth Dimension is a phrase in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that talks about how we are rocketed into the fourth dimension, which is the spiritual realm of recovery. Mm. And, you know, when I was talking to Patrick Carnes on the show, he said very, very clearly, suffering causes great transformation, which then, of course, brings about that spiritual experience of giving back. And um, obviously that's what you've been doing for how many years? How long have you been a CSAT? I've only been a CSAT. I started my journey in 2012, so I'm actually a relatively new CSAT um, um, because I came at this later in life after I had 14 years of my own therapy um, and I was out at um, at Dental Path in um, 2014 and fifth, part of 2015, um, and I got the best training a person can possibly get as a CSAT, in my opinion. Absolutely, and we all know that most sex addicts have at least one other, if not two, three, or four addictions. So it's it is you know, very, I think, beneficial when you've had a chemical dependency because you know how to spot it. You know what it's like for somebody to have a dual diagnosis. And you know that when sex addiction gets better, uh, substance abuse can get worse or vice versa. When somebody's in a facility for their drug or alcohol use and they begin to manage that, if their sex addiction is untreated, it gets worse. Absolutely. We call that whack-a-mole. And, yes, absolutely, that is that is a true thing. You know, I had a guy when I worked at um, General Path who 
who still calls me every year on his anniversary. He's been sober now for several years, just to just to touch base with me. He told me he had been to so many treatment centers for his chemical dependency, and it wasn't until he came to the to Gentle Path when they, they, you know, you talked about the full assessment they do, and they treated his. Um, um, he had a personality disorder, bipolar, sex addiction, and chemical dependency. He had all four, and he finally got the right treatment, and he's been sober ever since. And what was happening before is he'd get sober from chemicals, but then the combination of his, you know, his bipolar and his personality disorder and, and his sex addiction, he'd feel so much shame from all those other other behaviors and the, the chaoticness um, that he would end up drinking or using again. Um, so it's super, super important to not just focus on one thing, whether it, you know, when I do my assessments for every single person, um, I do a timeline that not only with their, their sex and love stuff, um, but I also do a chemical one and a mood and anxiety one, so I can or money one or food one. But um, I, you know, I I take a look at um, all the different things so that way that it it can all be treated and they don't have to do years of whack-a-mole. Yeah, I and I can really appreciate that because it is so frustrating when somebody is really working hard on a specific addiction, and all of a sudden they're preoccupied with something else, whether that's gambling or working or overeating or drugs or alcohol, um, it is that whack-a-mole game. Now, let me ask you, you know, I know what Patrick Carnes says, but how long do you think it takes to heal from sex addiction? Yeah, I mean, I know Dr. Carnes says that's three to five years, and, and, and for some people that is very true. Um I, you know, I've, and first of all, I think, I think addiction is a chronic, chronic disorder, which is a, you know, you'll, you know, you, you have it for a lifetime. So you, just like with alcoholism, you have to tend to it and you don't just get, get to do a little bit of treatment and be done. So to be clear, when I'm talking about how long does it take to heal, I'm talking about how long does it take to get stabilized in, in a recovery where you're functioning well and your relationship's healing. That's what I mean when I, the, the time I'm going to give you is, is that, not that you're going to be completely cured. Um, but I, I've seen people do it in, you know, in a couple of years where they get really stable in a couple of years if they really dig in and do the work. I guess I've seen some major changes within a year. And, I, you know, I have other people who are seven years in and they're still, you know, they're just getting to the point where they're stabilizing. So just like with the, you know, the other question about empathy, I think it depends on the, it depends on the person. And, frankly, it depends on how much work they put into it. Oh, yeah, I would 100% agree with that. And I, it's good to hear you say that you think that stabilization period can occur from in somewhere between one and two years, and then they're on the road to knowing what to do to keep that going. But yep. I bet you, like I, think that sex addiction is truly the, the most difficult addiction to manage. Would you agree? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. But by... By far, I think the one that's closest to that is food, um, because of mm-hmm. you know you have the food, you have to eat to survive. I think sex is closer to food, but if you're you know if you're comparing sex to chemicals, I, I 100% agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and obviously, if you're working with Help or Heal, you really do believe that the partner needs treatment alongside of the addicts because. She has just been through so much trauma, or he, that they really need something to help stabilize them. So tell me a little bit 
about why you think a partner needs to see a therapist. I heard you say CSAT, and I'm going to add to that, or an mm-hmm. OPSAT, since that's a partner-sensitive mm-hmm. therapist, too. Um, yep. Why do you think that the partner needs to do that when, let's face it, you know, a lot of partners feel resentful. They're like saying, I didn't cause this. Why should I have to work? Yeah, and I totally get that feeling because I've been there. And, you know, my my, my experience with that is, is that when, and I can just say it from personal experience, but I've also seen it with so many partners, is unfortunately the damage has been done. The trauma has been done. Um, you know, the, the shock of discovery, um, the ruminating thoughts about him with so-and-so or, you know, the, the lack of safety, the, all the lies. I mean, sex addicts can lie like anyone's business. I mean, I, the lying that happens with sex addiction I, I think is probably the worst of all addictions. And the crazy making and, and just how, how crazy partners feel. And, and that doesn't go away, that trauma doesn't go away without processing the trauma. And so partners, what, here's what I see. Partners who choose to not do the work and they just send their, their spouse or their partner off to, to get therapy, they stay stuck. They stay stuck in anger. They stay stuck in resentment. They stay stuck in hurt, and they often get sick. I, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, and all my symptoms went away when my husband moved out, and I see that happening with people. And then what happens is the guy gets sober. He starts getting healthier. He's doing his, you know, the 12 step. He's doing his meetings. He's doing all this stuff. He starts getting healthier, and eventually it gets to the point where he starts talking about how he needs to leave because, because the relationship is so unhealthy. And unfortunately, it's super sad and tragic. He'll end up leaving after he traumatized her and betrayed her because the relationship becomes so unhealthy for him. Um, and it's really sad because she didn't cause it. It isn't her fault. And the trauma has already happened to her. Yes. Now, the good news is I don't see that much of that. Um, I actually see couples that stay together. It's almost as if the the partner as mad and as hurt and as anxious as he or she may be, they know that this is an addiction and they're willing to to hang in there and see if he can learn how to manage it. Um, but you see, if you will, that often, not oftentimes, but some of the time the addict gets so discouraged and it's so difficult that it's easier to walk away than to do the hard work, right? Yeah, and to be clear, that, that's not that's not very common. But what I mean is when the when the partner refuses to do anything and just says, "You go take care of it," it's those couples I'm talking about. The couples where the partner is, is getting therapy and 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 getting help for herself. You're right. Mm-hmm. Those couples, um, you know, somewhere down deep inside, she can see. Oh, so little baby steps, but she can, he's starting to show up different. He's being less defensive. He's holding space for her. And she's able to just contain herself, and and maybe some days more than others, um, but ever so slowly they heal. And here's the thing with this, and it's so beautiful. I have, you know, know, I've been doing this since 2012 and it's 2020, so I've been doing it long enough where I I have many couples um, who are in the early years of of when I was doing this, because I worked in a clinic under really good supervision before I went out to dental path. And I've got, I've got um, couples who, you know, who get in contact with me 
And they have just a beautiful, emotionally intimate, real vulnerable relationship that is beautiful. And I believe that couples who go through this, once they get through this, you're not going to be, you know, complaining about the garbage, like who's emptying the garbage. It's like the there's this intimacy that's built from, from this pain that is quite beautiful, and I believe in it. And I have enough couples, I have a lot of couples who get there that it it, it propels me forward because I know it's possible. Oh, I, I would absolutely positively agree with you. Now, what do you think the partner needs to do to facilitate her own healing? Well, I think, you know, the partner, I think the partner really needs to go see a therapist um, that is trained in, mm-hmm. in, with sex addiction. Um, I think partners groups can be very, very effective so that the way she's not such a secret. One of the things that happens with, with um, betrayed partners is is that they, they don't really want to talk to their friends and family about it. Oftentimes they feel their own shame. But also if, you know, if sometimes they feel shame for staying, um, um, and I'll say something about that in a second, but... Um, but they, they don't have anyone to talk to, and if, they, if they're afraid that if they say something to someone and then they end up staying, then and then you can't unhear that. So what happens is they just become isolated and they're not getting the support they need, and they're very alone. And and mm-hmm. coming to a partners group and having support and having people, other women to talk to, is very very important. Um, I wanted to say something about the whole the whole shame thing about staying. You know, I hear that all the time, and what I say to partners is, you know what, if there is, in my view, because I believe it's a, I believe it's a, a medical issue, I believe it's a brain disorder, um, if, you know, if, if he's getting the, the proper help and he's getting better, there, I don't think there's any shame in deciding to stay with your spouse or your partner uh, when they're in treatment for, for a medical issue. And, and, you know, like if they had cancer or diabetes, a lot of women wouldn't, wouldn't leave or, or partners wouldn't leave. So I don't think there's any shame in staying. But I also don't think there's any shame in leaving. If you've been cheated on and, and you don't want to stay, I mean, I, I what I do is I support partners either way they want to go. I, I don't I don't um, push them either way. I just tell partners that you'll if you decide to go, you'll know, and that you should stay until you definitively know, and you will know. And what that does is it gives it gives partners an opportunity to stop wondering if this is the thing they should leave over, and just to just you know to just make the decision to just stay until they definitively know something different. And it gives the guy or the, the addict and the couple some, some wiggle room to, to start the process of healing. Oh, I, I agree 100%. And do you feel like most addicts slip or relapse? You know, if, if, you, if you read the literature, the literature will say yes. And if you go to 12-step meetings, SA or SA or SLA, you'll hear, you know, people relapsing. And I tell people, I tell every single guy who comes to my office or every addict who comes into my office, I see mostly men, I have a few women, but mostly men, that relapse does not have to be part of the story. And, and that, you know, that they can, if they do the work and they do what it is I'm teaching them and they get involved in group and 12-step and do all the stuff, um, relapse doesn't have to be part of the story, and um, and I have many guys who'll will who'll come in and they'll say it's not my story, and that's their mantra, it's not my story. Or no matter what club, I'm not going to relapse no matter what. So do a lot of people relapse? Sure. Uh, I have a lot of people in my in my um, in my caseload who never relapse, and um, and it's not because of me. I feel like it's because I give them permission not to. 
um, you know, it basically saying you don't have to. Do the work and you don't have to. Oh, I hear that. You know, I would encourage anybody who lives in that Washington area to, to give you a call, Heidi. I'm talking with Heidi Kinsella, and she can be found at www.fourthdimensioncounseling.com. Uh, her phone number is 425-652-1690, and her email is Heidi, H-E-I-D-I, at HeidiKinsella.com. Thank you so much for your wealth of information. I so appreciate you doing the show, and I want to have you come back. I would love that, and thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Okay, you take care. You too. Take care now. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. I love a therapist who wants to work with couples because, let's face it, that is so important to the well-being of the trauma that occurs. Okay, we have to go, but I will see you next week for more Sex Help with Carol, the coach. And as I say at the end of every show, hey, there's only going to be one of you at all times. Fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Make it a great week. And we'll be back next Monday for more Sex Help with Carol, the coach. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.